Hello everyone, I'm Simon Ford of Forge Gin. Martinis, gin and tonics, Negronis, great classic cocktails is what I'm about, but I also love to hear of great recipes from great bartenders from around the world, which is why we've partnered with Beyond the Drink for this season. Cheers. Well, you just heard from the man himself, Simon Ford, and this season of Beyond the Drink is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. I'm Cappy, and in this series, we're going to hear from some of the best bartenders in the country as they share the stories and recipes behind their favorite drinks. Beyond the Drink is a spinoff of Beyond the Plate, our podcast that sits down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their communities. We invite you to check out this season of Beyond the Plate, where we're featuring some of the greatest restaurant and hospitality duos. And if you're new to Beyond the Drink, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to create a delicious cocktail or, like the bartenders we feature, make a difference in your community. To get the cocktail recipe we discussed in this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. One more thing, we have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch. You can find the link in your podcast player or go to our website, beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, hoodies, and more. Again, that's beyondplatepodcast.com. Enjoy this week's episode. All right, gentlemen, before we start here, we'd like to do a fun audio test on Beyond the Plate and Beyond the Drink. So we have our guest name, three of something or five of something. Since there's two of you, we're going to have you each name three of something. Joe, we shall start with you. Name three ingredients you love to see used with gin. Rich, simple, strawberry puree, diffusion of chartreuse. Wowzers. Ross, name three ingredients you love to use with gin. Love to use with gin, I would say definitely citrus or anything kind of bright, you know, whether it be lemon, grapefruit, anything like that. I love playing into the aspects, so any ingredients that have notes within the whatever gin we're using. I love to kind of refocus on those ones. And bubblegum. No, <laughs> uh, I would say strawberry and rhubarb are always very good because they're kind of like in the country, you know, or any fresh berries. Love it. You both sound good. Let's do it. Sticking with our duos theme this season, today's guests are old pals from nearly 10 years ago. First up, Joe Brooke is a West Coast trade advocacy manager for a few different brands, but for purposes of this episode, Ford's Gin. With over 16 years behind the stick, he was entrenched in the world of LA mixology, having worked in some of the most famous cocktail venues and with some of the biggest names in the global cocktail scene. Ross Simon is a multi-award winning bar and hospitality pro who is currently based in Arizona. He worked in the culinary and hospitality industry in his native home of Scotland since the 90s and then moved to London and worked in some of the most highly regarded bars. From there over to the US where he's worked with numerous bars, hosted cocktail seminars, produced cocktail competitions, and was recently one of the inaugural judges of Friend of the Podcast, Tony Abu Ghanim's Tag Global Spirits Awards in Las Vegas. He now owns and operates two award-winning cocktail bars. You can find more on them in the episode notes and follow Joe on Instagram at Joe from Fords and Ross at drink underscore better. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with Joe Brooke and Ross Simon. Tony Abuganim says hello, Ross. I love Tony. Uh, he's just awesome. So hi, Tony. How you doing? Good guy. Guys, thanks for being here. I'm excited. I should have started, you know, I should have hit record 10 minutes before now. That could have been an episode in and of itself. But, you know, 
You live and you learn. Here we are. So the best banter is always B-roll. We got this. I, I would have at least got a martini in the meantime, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guys, let's do a little warm up. We don't really need to warm up, but a little speed round action. Number one, Joe, name the cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar. The cocktail that inspired me to get behind the bar was rent. <laughs> no, um, I didn't really get bit by the by the cocktail bug until I'd moved to LA. I'm born and raised in New York City and I'd started out there, but 2006, it was during the whole rush. And I remember the cocktail that convinced me that they were there to stay was actually a Mai Tai, a fresh juice Mai Tai. But the first gin cocktail that reminded me or showed me that not all gin cocktails are more slap than tickle was, I think it was a fish house punch. Philadelphia Fish House Punch with a gin riff. And it was like gin and peach and citrus and black tea. And it, it was, it, it tasted like a kiss on the forehead. And it totally, the, the, my, my previous experience with gin was basically taking pulls of a bottle of sapphire that I stole from my cousin's liquor cabinet. Not a good experience. So that was the first one I was like, oh, wow, this is actually delightful. I may do something that I've never done before, guys. In the history of Beyond the Plate or Beyond the Drink, nine seasons in, I'm going to scrap the speed round the quick speed round answer and just make it a discussion. How's that? I totally ruined that, didn't I? You asked for a speed round. I gave you, a, I gave well, you like a... Two minutes left on the podcast. This has been great. Best foot forward. Awesome. Everyone remembers their first, Joe. Hey, Ross, do you have a cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar? I would say probably a rye and dry. It was one of the first ones I was ever introduced to in a little pub in Hamilton in Scotland next to Lanarkshire. And it was just Canadian whiskey and ginger ale with a really nice chunky piece of orange and it was delicious and gave me many a hangover. <laughs> hey Joe, what pisses you off behind the bar? Not paying attention to your guests, having making it be, being so wrapped up in what the bartender is doing that they fail to take in the whole room. I call them I call them master bitters. Hey Ross, how about you? What? Uh <laughs> master bitters? Is that like a master baker that does breads? No, I would say there's so much. There's so much. We don't have time for this. But if I had to say one thing, I would say ego. I really kind of like when the ego gets in the way of actually the service, I have a bit of a problem. But if I was to get really finickety, I would say probably touching straws with your fingers at the top where the guest puts their lips or glassware. When they're doing that and they're carrying glassware, just cringeworthy if it's not at the quarter of the bottom of the glass. Good one. What makes you happy behind the bar, Joe? satisfaction watching the guests get what they need of the years that I was behind the bar. That was why we do it. It was so much more gratifying to watch them balance out whatever had happened to them during that day. It was either like to buoy them or it was always nice to watch that happen. How about you, Ross? Well, definitely just like, you know, making a guest experience better than when they walked in. But if I was to jump to the other side of the bar, me walking into the bar at nine o'clock in the morning and taking a look underneath my bar and knowing that the bartenders clean it to an immaculate standard and I didn't even ask them to do it. So, oh my God, brings it to the bar. <laughs> you should ask him about his branded toothbrushes that he gives all his staff. I get them a high quality steamer. Thank you very much. Last one, Joe, one gin based cocktail everyone needs to try. Gin gimlet, hands down, L liquid sunshine. Yeah, Ross. Uh, well, you could do a one-shot stop Vesper, get the job done and turn a good day, a bad day into a good day real fast. All right, guys, this is good. This is exciting. All right, so this episode, we got a classic cocktail coming our way and an original cocktail coming our way. But first off, well, I want to start with Joe with the first cocktail, the classic. But Joe, 
for those who may not have caught our episode a couple weeks ago with Nandini and Alex, can you give us a quick rundown on what a trade advocacy manager does, what you do with Fords? Advocacy is bringing people together and showing them why it is important, why it's important to have quality brands behind the bar, why it's important to support the right bars, not just the ones that our friends run. It's the ones that are being built from the right place. There's so many people in the industry on supplier side as well as on, on, on the bar side that are building the car from the outside in. And I think one of the things that, that really, not to go off on a tangent, Ross built his programs very much from the perspective of the bartender out. So advocacy is bringing light to all these things that the average person may or may not be aware of. Awesome. Let's jump into the cocktail that you, you chose to share with us today. Tom Collins. See, now the Tom Collins is my favorite. It's sort of like an old fashioned or like asking a chef to make an omelet, right? It's very few ingredients, but it requires some skill, right? It's difficult to master, easy to get the hang of. This was also one of the original gin cocktails that came out of the gin craze of London. It was made originally with this sweetened gin called Old Tom Gin. They named it after all the Tomcats that they had let loose in the big smoke to kill off all the plague rats. It's already a wonderful association. Delish. But this is also this is also when the the crown and this was likened to the crack epidemic of America in the mid 80s where basically the crown because they didn't want to support the enemy and everyone drank cognac. They didn't want to support France anymore because another war was brewing. He was like, "Tell you what, this is how to make this stuff called Geneva because he's a, the guy at the time, William of Orange, he's a Dutch-born national who is allowed to ascend the throne. He basically told everyone how to make gin and said they wouldn't he wouldn't tax them on it. So it, people were like Stilling it in their like hallways and bathrooms and stuff, and it did not taste good. So the best way to do it, sweeten it up a bit, put a bunch of stronger botanicals in there so you don't like actually taste like you're dying, like you're drinking something that's going to make you go blind. So old Tom Gin was basically they would combine it with a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt. Sorry, a little bit of sugar. I'm looking at Ross and I think of salt. A little bit of sugar, a little bit of citrus, a little bit of soda water, right? We were three of like the top ingredients of the day. It's like the molecular gastronomy of the 1700s. And it was this wonderful punch. It was called Limmer's Punch. It was originated at this bar. We're actually the bar at Limmer's, the Limmer's Hotel on Conduit Street. And they used to sell a lot of stuff based off of limericks. I'm totally taking the scenic route here. I apologize. It's a tall, refreshing drink. And it also teaches you a lot about where cocktails kind of came from and that you don't need to come up with a clown car cocktail with like 20 ingredients in order for it to be an enjoyable, easily replicable experience. It's crushable, as the kids would say, right, Joe? Crushable. What are the, so tell us the ingredients. Tell us the ingredients and the method. Okay, so ingredients are Ford's gin, obviously, fresh squeezed lemon juice, a little bit of simple syrup, soda water. Now, a lot of people make the mistake to shake it and then top it off with soda water, but that doubles up the dilution. And rather than having it taste like Gatorade Fierce Juniper, you build it. This is one of the, it, it, you can't treat things in the bar world as gospel truth. It's way too easy a pitfall. You build it all in the glass, you stir it. You won't get as much aeration from the from sh- not shaking it, but then you add up that soda water and you have ex- the perfect amount of dilution. It's the same thing with mojito. Just You just want to stir and build. Great for a summer's day. A lot of dilution talk this season of Beyond the Drink, guys. We had uh, Capo Ferry talking about his dilution substitution over there at Thunderbolt. 
Pretty interesting. That dude is an absolute twisted genius. You should ask Ross about the size of his <laughs> RO tank. No one, no one should know the size of that. Well, just the girth, the girth Joe, alone. not man. wrong. You know, that Tom Collins is just delicious when it's made right, but it's easily messed up, right? And the reason why I'm doing the two-to-one simple syrup is versus one-to-one, it's, it, this is, I learned how to bartend back in the days of free pouring, which would give Ross hives, I'm sure. I'm lucky I'm sitting but down. <laughs> two-to-one simple is, ev- it's less water. You want it, dilution is wildly important. So even the simple fact of using a two-to-one simple means it's less liquid in your cocktail, which would then allow all those flavors to come through all the more vibrantly. That is one thing that I picked up off of. Like Ross, I know he's, his exotic accent, he is from overseas, if that wasn't made abundantly Bonjour. clear already. And there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot that I learned from international bartending in that, you know, use going for enriched or a, a rich simple or even a gum syrup is it's you need so much less in order to get the same effect. And it's just the, really makes the flavor pop. That makes sense. Tom Collins. Love it. Ross, talk to us. What would you like to know? Let's talk about the cocktail you brought for us, the slap and tickle. Yeah, cheeky little number. I've been making this drink. It's actually on the Bitter and Twisted menu, but it was made originally when I was back in London and I'd done it for the lab menu. And it was actually, it's cheeky, we're using slow gin. So Ford slow gin, amazing. And then uh, we're using sous vide coconut rum, lemon lime juice. It's like stupid measurements. It's like 0.3 milli- uh, ounces, 0.3 and, uh, of each lemon and lime and then mango syrup. And the combination is actually reminds me of a UK confectionery called a, uh, a cola cube that actually didn't taste anything like cola. It was just delicious and it was like crack when you were a kid at high school and uh, you used to get them in a the little bag. So I was like, wow, nailed it. So with a combination of the coconut with the slow gin berries and then the little bit of citrus to give it a little pop is, a, is the slap and tickle. So who wants to tell the listener about slow gin? I love that Ford slow gin product, but so I would love to, people see that and they're like, what, that's gin? Cause it's got, it's not, you know, it's reddish. So there's the blackthorn bush, which grows all over the place in, uh, through France and, and, and um, England specifically. They grow these little droops. They're not berries. They're slightly different and they call them slow berries and they're very bitter. Slow spelled S-L-O-E for everyone listening. Correct. Slow berries. And they all harvest at different times, summer to June but the best time to pick them is in the winter season. And it became this seasonal offering where they would steep these slow berries in their favorite tipple, which really is gin still at this point, and a little bit of sugar. And it became slow gin. It's not technically a gin because it's sweetened. It qualifies as a liqueur. But the very first mention of it, I think, was in a publication back in the 1800s, it was Miss Mary Beaton's Rules for Running at Home or something, and they had a recipe in there for slow gin, as well as a couple of cocktails. It just is a flavor that really has been passed down generationally over there. Is there a traditional way to make it, or I guess my follow-up there is, what makes Ford's slow gin different than another slow gin? So I'll give you the quick one, because I know Ross is champing at the bit to say something. Most slow gins are very sweet. And they're very flavorful. They taste, to the American palate, might come across like a little Robitussin-ish because it's a very concentrated flavor. The Ford's gin is half the sugar and a higher proof to fit the American palate. A fun fact that we learned is that the best way to get the most flavor out of the berries is to add, is to do as little with them as possible. So if you freeze them before you distill them, all of the expansion of the water in the berries will burst the cellular walls. And it's a lot. it gets much better product. 
but Ross, feel free to fact check me. No, on that I one. think you're correct. You know, like the, from the what makes a good one versus another one, like Fords or some of the other high end ones, is just like having the right viscosity, having the right balance of the sweetness. You need the punch from the slowberries to come through without, and sometimes it just is. It doesn't work, and it's yeah, the name's Slow Gin, but it's not as you would expect it to be. So high quality product all around. Hey Ross, <laughs> I'm curious. Can you give me the quick lowdown on? I'm curious about the sous vide coconut rum what's that oh the coconut rum so basically super easy barely an inconvenience you just toast off the coconut fresh coconut and then we're taking a really nice well-balanced rum with a little bit of flavor you just don't want something incredibly neutral as far as your rum's concerned and then you just stick it in the bath for about two and a half hours around 135 140 and it imparts the flavor you do a little fat washing after that so like it sits in the freezer overnight after it's uh, cooled down a little bit just to skim off the fat from the coconut and then it just makes deliciousness. You might want to add a little bit of sugar just for shits and giggles. But good to go. Hot to drop. That's cool. Love it. The slap and tickle with the 101 on slow gin and sous vide coconut rum. Exciting. Exciting just the guys. basics. Just the basics. All right. Let me switch gears really quick here. Share a little bit what you're seeing or what's going on in the gin world out on the West Coast, whether it's Arizona, LA, nationally, something you're seeing. Were you both at tales of the cocktails or something there you're seeing i'm kind of curious what's up i'll let you talk about the gin world i can just talk about what i'm seeing but like on you go gin gin is slow and steady gains at a time where a lot of people are really drawn toward agave and all the pitfalls they're in i think certain la because it's such an agave dominant market i mean obviously you've got everyone fanboying out and fangirling out over whiskey that's not going anywhere Gin has very quietly started to assume the mantle of, I think, where vodka was however many years ago, in that it's the, there are still people who don't like it, understood, and we're all entitled to our wrong decisions, but unless you have an actual allergy. It's almost like people look at the cocktail menu to see what you can do with gin, right? It's not so much a terroir-based thing where you drink the single malt to take you to spay or wherever you drink the rum, you, you drink the rum, rum agricole because it's the closest you can get to Martinique without buying a ticket. Gin is one of those things where it's like, okay, what can you do with it? How do you express your creativity using gin? I think it's a bit more flexible, a uh, raw material. Like that, Ross. Good. Go on, Ross. Do better. Do better. Well, I can't really speak to everything known gin like you know owning a couple of bars and more in taps with like what i see in regards to other bars or other kind of techniques that are going around the world but i'd probably say what we have to steer away from is probably just gimmick for gimmick's sake there's a lot of that out there and i think everything has to have a purpose whether that be how we infuse something if it's a foam we're making or if it's a brand new technique a centrifugal or like anything like that it just has to has a, a purpose like you see a lot with garnishes does that garnish actually match with the drink and i would say we just have to like Obviously, huge is clarification because of, you know, a couple of European bars. Everyone thinks that's the next in be all and end all. But I think with everything, you have to kind of strike a balance, much like the cocktails. And does everyone want the tab of the cocktail world, right? <laughs> like, as long as it's clear. No, so like you... You are removing some things when you actually clarify things, like whether that be density, kind of viscosity and things like that. So, you know, I would say everything has its place as long as it has purpose. I like that. 
Thanks for that, guys. I want to hit upon social impact and giving back with you all. Our listeners of Beyond the Plate know we it's an important part, you know, of discussing chefs' generosity to their communities. And it's, you know, no surprise that bartenders are equally, if not more, oftentimes, you know, generous when it comes to events or donating portions of proceeds or just being involved in a cause in general, if it's a, you know, something personal to you. So I would love to give you both a moment to shed light, you know, whether Joe, whether for you, whether it's Ford's related or personal related, something, an organization you have worked with, but I'd love for you both to just, you know, touch upon an organization that you all have worked with or cause. Well, can't pull anything off the top of my head right now. I know Ross has an amazing partnership with the Jupiter Foundation, but as a brand Ford's, we made our name on looking after those who've looked after us, which doesn't exactly sound altruistic. It sounds pretty purpose-driven. We all knew Simon when he built the company, when he, the bedrock of the company is that if it was not for the bartender or for the desire to learn more about and to celebrate classic cocktails, we simply would not exist. So our, it, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but our the, the charity that we give back to as often as we can is our community. I know that when Coke when COVID hit, we offered a sort of, not a sweepstakes, it was sort of like a at-home bartending thing where we would be able to give people a little bit of extra cash for helping out by talking about how what they do with gin and such. And at every moment, that is those are the people, that is the body that we always want to be giving back to. I love that. And I've touched about I touch upon that in our Beyond the Plate episodes and we've done some brand mentions for Fords. I love discussing how you all do that. So that's great. Thank you. Ross, how about you, man? Well, we, together with the bars, Little Rituals and Bitter and Twisted down in Arizona, we also do a small little cocktail event. I think it's probably maybe one of the second longest running cocktail events in the country, maybe second or third. Uh, we've been doing that for 12 years now, and we're still here, called Arizona Cocktail Weekend. And we basically, a couple of years ago, we raised about $25,000 for charity. We gave about 17000 to another round, another rally. We also gave, I think, about a nice little number to the St. Baldrick's thing, because we had our friends up in Vegas doing Barmania, the herbs and rye, and we said, oh, we can help that out. We can make that number better. So we took their number up by just around about $9,000 we gave them. So like it's more, and the Jupiter Foundation helps like anything bar centric, but also things that are outside bars and just, as you say, community uh, within the region as well, that just are great causes and need money. And we look at those and we see what we can do. That's great. Love it. Thank you both. Let's close it out here. I've got a question for you, both. I'm going to start with you, Joe. We started doing this. I'll stop prefacing this question now, listener, but I prefaced it in the first couple Beyond the Drink episodes. We started doing it this season where we'd ask this closing question because we usually do it in the Beyond the Plate episodes and we may be asking a chef, you know, give advice to your young self or a young cook coming in the industry. And I didn't really get to do that in the with the bartenders, but I it's opened my eyes in a huge way hearing some of these answers. And I kind of wanted to carry that over to you all. So question, Joe, you know, with that said, what advice would you give to young bartenders coming up in the industry? Looking back on it, I, I was on a pretty specific track and I eventually burned out. And I think it was because I tried, I was thinking that I could set my own expectations. And the one thing that I would say for anyone starting out who really has aspirations of doing something bigger in, within the scene. Understand that the finish line is an abstract. 
there's nothing ever ends, right? Because when you get that to that level, that just means you have to keep doing the next thing. And I think that I was a little quick to sort of sit back and be like, heck yeah, I made it. I missed out on opportunities. And then when things didn't start working out the way that I assumed they would, I started to get really burned out. The one thing about this industry is that there's really no shortcuts. The people who really make the difference are the ones who put in the hours and as long as you go into that with expectation, everyone wants to be fast-tracked for a brand gig or whatever else. You stand atop a foundation that you pour yourself. Nothing is given. Nothing nothing worth it is given. So that would be it. Just if you feel like it's not the thing for you, amazing. Let's have a pizza party. Let's, let's celebrate you going off to do something way healthier. But for the other people who really are lifers, like me and Ross, just keep working. It'll happen. And drink a lot of water. Cool. Thank you. Ross. Ross, there's a part in your bio that I saw. It said you, you worked up the ranks of lab until you earned the title of head bartender, and this caught me, and learned the importance of giving every guest the ultimate bar experience. What is the ultimate bar experience? Probably. I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that question. <laughs> Say the warm and fuzzies. Definitely the drink is probably, it's important what you're putting them, what they're tasting it, but no one has said many times before, it's, they never remember the drink, they'll remember how they feel and uh, making sure that we make the time for that. Like we, they could be, ha- like they might be having the worst day and their cat might have died or something horrible with that. We don't know that. So we obviously, as humans, we sometimes put walls up. It's about being the poor man's psychiatrist on the other side of the bar and being empathetic to our, every each and their guest, even if they're mean to you. And if they're mean to you, you might once again be able to like turn that around and actually have them have, a, as we said, a better experience than when they walked in the door. Now, can you win every battle? No, but you can try. So it's just about trying. And it's also about just everything has to be taken into account, whether you just making sure everything's clean, making sure everything's taken care of, all your light bulbs are working in the bar. You know, you just want a really nice place. And I've had dinner for nine years going, coming up for 10 soon. And I would like to think my bar looks as good as when we opened the doors. And that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of maintenance. So aesthetics, they're also part of their experience. So everything from just like making sure you're taking care of your guests, giving them a great product and justifying the price you may be charging. Like we're very fair in what we charge at Bitter comparatively to around the valley that might be like plus $20. So we try and find that balance as well because we're not here to screw our guests either. We're here to like just give them a great product at a great price. Love it. So good. Gentlemen, appreciate your time. Both of you love having these conversations and thankful for Fords and the whole bartending community for uh, your talent, your compassion, all the things, all the good stuff. And I hope to cross paths with both of you sometime in the near future. But in the meantime, I appreciate you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. This episode is produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Captain's Plate or go to beyondplaypodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. <laughs>